Hi, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. So I've been watching the Women's World Amateur Championships because I, I have a real interest in two in particular, so mainly Lauren Price and Sandy Ryan. I think, I think both those two ladies could make a massive impact in the pro ranks if trained and managed correctly. Like There's a massive gap between being a good amateur, winning a few tournaments as an amateur, and then stepping over that line and becoming a monster as a professional, but I think both have the potential to do that. But today there was controversy. I saw, you know, the the small subset of boxing Twitter that focuses on the amateur side, Jamie Ingleby, losing their minds because I think her name's Karis Artingstall. If I've said it wrong, sorry. She was boxing a young lady from the Philippines today. Semi-finals. There's a chance to get into the final. It's rare that British boxers do this. You know, shouts out to Lauren Price for actually doing it. But Lauren Special, we'll come on to that in a second. So young Karis loses to the young Filipino lady, and I forget her name, and I haven't really got it to hand, so I can't really pretend that I know. But I watched the fight over three rounds. You've got Karis, I don't know how tall Karis is, but she had about four inches in height over this lady. It should never have been a debate. Like Boxing logic tells you the taller person in the amateurs should normally win. And I'd seen the uproar, so I thought, let me see the fight for myself. And so a couple of things were really informative. First and foremost, it seems the judges aren't rewarding the tippy-tap stuff anymore. So what, what Karras was doing in this fight was staying on the perimeter of the ring and just peppering with the jab, one-twos, and, you know, basic, basic boxing. It's the way that you used to be taught. You know, just if you've got long arms, keep it long, do this, do that. The problem was, none of her punches forced her opponent backwards. And it wasn't down to having an amazing chin, I don't think. It was just simply, she wasn't committing her shots. And you can't reward that. And it seems that the judges are refusing to reward simply making contact. It's not 2008. So now the, it seems that they're really enforcing this edict of you have to make, you have to make contact with force, preferably significant force, and that's what they're rewarding, which I think is good going forward to the 2020 Olympics. That's what we want. Karis also failed to go to the body. That always worries me as an amateur if you can't go to the body, because a young Filipino lady, and I'm literally going to try and find her name because it's going to bug me. So her name's Nesty Patesio. I don't know if I have to say that again. I'll call her Nesty. Nesty short squat quite muscular surprisingly so for a filipino but nesty's able to walk down the taller woman and actually be a front foot counter puncher and was landing with some some telling shots and they were the more impactful shots the hardest shots in the fight were landed by nesty now if i'm training karis after the first round i'm saying to her i don't want the judges to believe that this lady is a harder puncher than you so every so often, sink a few heavy shots in on her. Really commit those shots, rip into them, because you've got her timing nailed. You've got the range, you've got everything you have to just rip through a few uppercuts and hooks. Why? Because you're telling the judge, listen, I could take her head off. 
and I'm showing you that I can do that, but I'm also going to show you the science. And then every so often, I'd have told it, take the middle of the ring, don't surrender it. Why? Because then you're covering all your bases. And GB don't seem to be teaching that. They don't seem to be teaching that ring craft, which is increasingly being rewarded. Because the easy response to say is, look how many more punches Karis landed. But the meaningful punches came from Nesty. There was a point, I think it was in round three, where she ripped through with four really hard body shots. And you thought to yourself, they hurt. I don't care who you are, those punches hurt. In the second round, she's come up with the most wonderful uppercut. And it twisted Karis's neck, man. Like properly just snapped that neck. And you have to reward that because that's what fans want to see. That's what keeps boxing relevant in the Olympics is that, yes, you can be skillful and quick in and out, but you can also hurt the other person. Karis didn't show that. And I can see why the judges would have said the fight was close. Is it a robbery? No, it's a close fight. And, and this is what I'm excited about in the Olympics. If this is going to be the judging criteria, where we're going to reward the attacking fighter, the guy on the front foot throwing the heavy shots, so be it. We're in for a good tournament. What I don't want is, I don't want this flip-flopping, where you're going to reward people being on the back foot, just tapping away, which I think is, is regressive for boxing. And then the next tournament, you're rewarding people for coming forward. Let's be consistent now. Let's just have a message that's clear. If you're going to be a front foot boxer, you're going to get rewarded. If, particularly if you control the geography and geometry of the fight. If you're controlling where and when the exchanges happen, which Nesty kind of was in the second half of the fight, fantastic. And I, think, and I don't think Karis is rubbish at all. I think she's super talented. I think what she needs to do now is trust her instincts and go, I need to be more aggressive. And I think that's true for most of the GB boxers because that's why we're losing out on medals. Because when push comes to shove... All that pretty stuff they try and teach you, all that don't get involved stuff, it's turning judges off now. Because it's a new generation of judges that are coming through. And they want to see what they identify with boxing, which is, you know, put hands on someone. So I'm hoping that this is a wake-up call to a lot of the GB boxers to start taking their development in their own hands. Because I don't think GB have got the coaches that will take these talented boxers to the next level. But moving away from that, one question I wanted to ask the Twitterverse is, do we now have to accept that Golovkin was overrated? So I look through boxing history, you know, when you look at that middleweight division in particular, and you look at the guys who have come through, and I look at guys like Iran the Blade Barkley, and I look at guys like John Mugabe, and I look at guys like Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns when he went up there, Roberto Duran when he boxed there. I look at all of those names and I say to myself, where would you put Golovkin in and amongst those? Whatever Golovkin you want to take, the prime Golovkin, this Golovkin, that Golovkin, it doesn't matter. He'd just be another name. Yet we have people talking about Golovkin like he's the greatest guy pound for pound over the last 40 years. And he's not. The tragic thing about guys like Golovkin is this. We expect so much. We remember the knockout of Ishida, where he starches Ishida. And then you remember Ishida's actually a naturally small man. But you saw that and you thought, I want to see Golovkin do this against someone who's really good. I want to see him do this against an elite level guy. Which is what guys at Tommy Hearns did. Tommy Hearns knocked out elite level guys. We have never seen Golovkin knock out an elite level guy. 
So we've had this hype and it's mostly been based off social media as most bullshit is. Where Golovkin is supposedly this killer. And then you look. The first time he really steps up to elite level. Because guys like Macklin, guys like Martin Murray, Dominic Wade. Uh, who's the other guy? Willie Monroe Jr., Rubio, Gabriel Sardo. They're not elite level guys. They're not elite level guys. And we can all agree on that. His first real step up to that level was unquestionably Danny Jacobs. And even then, Danny Jacobs is kind of fringe elite level. You know, Danny Jacobs can win a world title in a, when, when the rankings favor him. And so you have Danny Jacobs. And Danny Jacobs goes the distance. He gets dropped in the fourth, but goes the distance and is competitive. The knockout monster has been silenced. Then you go through his list, you go, there's a Canelo fight there. Does, doesn't put a dent in Canelo. Let's be absolutely clear about this. Does not put one single dent in Canelo. And I think in the first fight, Canelo probably fought the wrong fight. You know, tried to be the clever counterpuncher. He probably could have won if he had just trusted himself a bit more. He was infinitely better than Golovkin that night. And Golovkin was lucky to get a draw. I don't believe Golovkin could have boxed any better in that first fight, but I do believe Canelo could have moved up a couple of gears, which he did in the second fight and unquestionably won it. Because, And here's why you have to accept that. If your logic behind the first fight was that Golovkin threw more meaningful punches and combinations and you know he was the aggressor, that was the logic in the first fight. The tweets are all there for you to review. And the defense that Canelo was the technically superior fighter, had the better jab, that was all rejected. So when it flipped around in the second fight, then you started to hear, ah, well, Golovkin had the better jab. He controlled the fight with his jab. Until you saw both their faces after the fight. And you realized Golovkin had had this shit beaten out of him. Smashed. Run over. Crucified even. And that's when you knew Golovkin would never be among the great middleweights. Because that Canelo that beat Golovkin convincingly does not beat Hagler. Does not beat Hearns. Does not beat Duran. Does not beat Leonard. Does not beat Mugabe. Does not beat Harold Graham. Does not beat uh, Mike McCallum. Wouldn't beat a Tony. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't beat any of that ilk. And I think even Canelo would accept that. So that lets you know where Golovkin is. He's just, he's essentially just internet hype. And so you wonder, what does Golovkin do for the rest of his career? Because he's not going to ascend to that pound for pound mantle as things stand. Because there are no fights for him to do that with. He could move up, but he's shown a reluctance to move up. In his prime years, he didn't want to move up. He, was he scared? Don't know. He didn't want to move up when guys like Ward offered him the fight. Froch offered him the fight. He didn't want to move up. So it's hard to feel sorry for Golovkin now. Because he's 37 years old. And he doesn't look like he can offer those glittering performances we all thought he was capable of. Which is fine. So now you have to just put him in fights where it's just entertaining and it's fight of the year. But I don't know where you find those opponents. Because he doesn't seem to generate the money to justify that. Which also creates a problem for DAZN. Because until Golovkin's any good, Canelo doesn't have to fight him. Billy Joe probably go, hey, he's washed up now. And so all that money you've invested to secure the best middleweights in the world, the marquee division in boxing, wasted. All because people bought into that Golovkin hype. 
which is a real shame. So, following on from Golovkin, and let's touch on, we'll keep it middleweight focus for now. So on November 30th, Linus Adolfi will fight Tyler Denny for the English middleweight title. Now I'm delighted for Linus. Linus is a great guy. I can't speak highly enough of Linus as a man. can't speak highly enough of him as a boxer and an athlete. Fine. Have no issue with that. It's about time he fought for a title. There's been a lot of talk about it for a couple of years now. It's finally happening. I'm delighted for him. Him fighting Tyler Denny... No issue with no issue with Tyler Denny either. I think Tyler Denny is a guy who's been plugging his trade away on Errol Johnson shows in the Midlands, and you know this is the downside of the small hall kind of thing. It's like wrestling in the seventies where everyone's got their territory, and it's rare that you know people kind of hop over from one territory to the other. So fans from London and the southeast don't really know Tyler Denny, but it's not an easy fight for Linus. Tyler's a tough guy. Linus is a tough guy, so he'll earn his title regardless. The issue I have is, as good as the board have been in moving boxing forward, we still have this thing where Southern Area, English, Commonwealth, and British titles seem to be parceled off in a way that's not transparent. So, for all the sins of our sanctioning bodies like the WBO, IBF, WBA, WBC... At least every month I see a list of people in every weight class that, that they rate. Now, I might disagree with where they are on the list, but I know who's who. So I know who the champion is likely to choose to fight. We don't have that for these titles. So what's ended up happening is actually Linus is fighting Tyler Denny. But then my question becomes, why isn't it someone like Danny Dignam who's ranked higher? You know, why... Why, why is it Tyler Denny? Why is it not Danny Dignam? Why isn't it... Uh, how do I forget Denzel Bentley? How is it not Denzel Bentley? As disrespectful as the Northerners will say, why isn't it someone like a Mark Heffron? He needs to rebuild. And I'm not saying Linus has to fight this. Guys. What I'm saying is, I don't understand the process of adjudicating on this. So, it might be the case that they're earmarked for other titles. Not sure. But there's no transparency. So what you'd like to see is the board say, listen, here's, here's who's in line for the British title in every weight class. Here's who's in line for the English title in every weight class. Here's who's in line for the area titles in every weight class. Here's in who's in line for the Commonwealth title in every weight class. That's what you want to see. And I, I think it's the Commonwealth Commission that decide on that. But it's the same principle. We never know who, who's in that queue. And so it seems that a promoter can go and go, I want to make this guy against this guy for this title. Are you okay with that? Which, if that was the WBA, which sometimes it seems to be, we're up in arms. But we're never up in arms when it's in our own country. And I say this because just looking down the list, there are fights for various titles in this country that don't make sense. You know, they don't make sense. Like, why would you have Dion Juma versus Isaac Chamberlain for the English title? That doesn't make sense when he's already fought for a higher title. So why would you bring him back down? It doesn't make sense. All these sorts of things. So for me, we need to really get that transparency from the board around how these decisions are reached. Because we want to know, when we're advising boxers, this is the path you take. And once you're in that list, we should know roughly when you're going to get your title shot. Because they deserve that. These are the guys putting themselves on the line. And so 
I'd like to see that, but once again, man, I'm happy for Linus. I'd like Linus to win a title. I think the English is cursed. In my eyes, I've always thought it's cursed. Um, you've seen very talented guys like Steve Bendel win that title and then never go any further. So I'm always wary of belts like that. I'm always wary of belts where people win it and then they don't go on to win British and European honours. But I wish Linus won. I hope he's the guy that breaks the curse. So the last thing I wanted to say was just a massive good luck to Josh Warrington tonight. You know, for any number of reasons, you know, I've been wrong about Josh Warrington a good few times. And I'm humbled now to say, actually, he's a much better boxer than any of us ever gave him credit for. And we really need to appreciate a guy who has the potential to go to America and kick their chessboard up in the air. But he just needs that platform. And hopefully Bob Arum can give that to him. But tonight... I might actually stay in and watch this card because, okay, Josh isn't fighting one of the top five in the world, but I wouldn't expect him to be at this point. You know, hopefully they're setting that up for 2020. But I am intrigued to see how good Lyndon Arthur is and to see how he copes at this stage, as I'm equally interested in Troy Williamson. These are all guys that, like, when you're in the Southeast bubble with the podcast and you don't, you lose sight of these guys, but guys like Lyndon Arthur, guys like Troy Williamson, you know, undefeated guys who who are fighting the same guys as you're seeing down south but these guys are absolute savages you know Mark Heffron on the comeback trail after losing his title I'm really I'm intrigued by this above all else I'm really intrigued to see what actually happens here and then in terms of boxing they say they've got Muhammad Ali making his debut and I'm hoping it's the Muhammad Ali that was in the GB setup, who was treated shockingly by that system. Where, if you remember, it was the most clumsy of cover-ups ever, where Muhammad Ali got done for uh, Trembolone, it was. And the reason that Trembolone's interesting is you never take Trembolone on its own. So he was taking a cocktail of drugs. Now... For me to believe he was taking a cocktail of drugs unsupervised as an elite athlete is crazy. Why? Because he would know that there's doping controls in place. You're not trying to be clever. So there's obviously a systemic failing in that. But GB never touched on this. There was never an inquiry to find out how this happened. Muhammad Ali has never talked about it. Which is in keeping with most doping offences. No one ever talks about what actually happened. And that's why in boxing terms... I really wish Mia St. John had, and maybe, you know, if she's willing, we'd get her on this podcast. But essentially what I'm saying here is this guy now makes his professional debut. We still, we've heard no contrition from him. We've heard no explanation of what happened. Everyone's just brushed this under the carpet, which is what boxing does. It circles the wagons. You don't believe me? Ask Nigel Travis. But it reinforces the point that boxing has a massive drug problem. And until... The sport puts money into testing people year-round. Because testing them in camp does nothing. Testing them in the week before fight does nothing. Anyone with two brain cells will tell you, you don't want PEDs in your system in the week of a fight. You definitely don't want PEDs in your system come fight night. And if you're trying to make weight, Jesus, do not have steroids or anything like that in you because you'll be fucked. But I don't want that to detract from what looks like a really interesting card. Once again, Frank is doing another card that shows us what tomorrow is going to bring. 
I'd love to see John Palacio in one of these Josh Warrington cards. Maybe we'll we'll get that happening if we can win the Ultimate Boxer. But these are all the things that are important. Like I want to know how good Troy Williamson is. Why? Because now I can make noise about him fighting some of the other guys. Same with Lyndon Arthur. Do I want to see Lyndon Arthur fight a Craig Richards? Do I want to see Lyndon Arthur fight a Dan Aziz? We'll find out tonight. But I just want to say have a great day, guys. You might get two in one day. You might get three in one day. You might just get one. I don't know. I'm just going to kick these out as and when I have time. So, as always, please like it, retweet, share. Don't be one of those guys that just listens in secret and goes, I'm not going to help the thing move forward. Don't be that person. You know, be an advocate. If you're a regular listener, be an advocate. Because it's that progression that then challenges me to be better and to do more. And the bigger the reach is, the better the quality of people I can get on here. And then I can ask them the questions that you want to ask them. But if you're not supporting the thing, if you're just passively consuming, then you know they're going to look and go, well, I, I, I can't believe that you've got this many listeners because I'm not seeing the retweets. But I get the numbers. I get the, I know how many people do listen. So let, you know, let's, let's all try and help build this and grow this and try and take it forward. Thanks very much, guys. Take care.